about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates so anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, I'm back. We are crawling our way through the letter of 1 John. And we get to 2 John and 3 John as well in January. Very exciting. Uh, And we are considering together what it means to live out the truth of Christmas, because in the letters uh, that John wrote, he talks a lot about Jesus as the Son of God who has come among us in the flesh, uh, and the way of life that summons us to as God's people. Now, an important bit of background is that these letters are written to a group of people who are feeling very disoriented and frustrated. Uh, and probably grieving and in a bit of pain because of a group of people who taught false things to them and then left them and abandoned them. And they're trying to deal with that situation, with the, the theological and kind of spiritual confusion of that, and, and John is helping them through that. And in the first couple of weeks, we've seen how he's talked about Jesus, how we really saw Jesus. He was the life come among us, the Son of God. And that Son was our advocate who deals with our sin and invites us into fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. And, and as he moves through this, this part of the letter, he starts to unpack some of the confusion they're experiencing. I like to think that uh, the, the people John is writing to I probably feel a little bit like the Rockefeller Christmas tree this year. Did you see this this week? On social media, the Rockefeller Christmas tree, normally this stunning, beautiful thing uh, that's put up in New York every year. Just everyone was looking at it this year and thinking, it just looks a bit 2020 or something. I don't know. It just looks like we all maybe feel. Uh, you know, it's been on a log truck, uh, gone uh, you know, thousands of miles, and it just looks a little bit crazy. Other people finding other worse trees... In other cities, it's great. It's great. Go look on Twitter or Instagram or wherever and find that. And I think of, when I think of um, my experience of this year, I feel a little bit like that. Uh, but I think that maybe the, the people John is writing to, they feel especially like this. And, and the words we get to in 1 John 2 today are a, a word of kind of reorientation to confused and uh, disoriented people. What I think uh, John gives us here are maybe four compass points to deal with. Uh, with the confusion that comes from 
you know, a year like this, but maybe more so from the spiritual confusion that results when we see people abandon the faith. Every year, every year in the last 10, I can think of one prominent Christian writer or leader who I looked up to, who has blown up their faith or taught something about Jesus that is not in Scripture or whose life has erred remarkably. And it's spiritually confusing, isn't it, when that happens to people we love, to leaders we respect. That's the kind of situation that these believers find themselves in. And so this, this word in, uh, in this part of 1 John is supposed to counter some of that confusion, particularly some of the claims that have been made by the people who confused them and then left. See this through the passage, through a repetition of a phrase that doesn't really come through in the translation. But see verse 4, verse 6, and verse 9. It says, Whoever says I know him, or whoever claims to live in him, and anyone who claims to be in the light, they're all one phrase, the one who says. The one who says I know him. The one who says I, I, I'm in him. The one who claims, the one who says I'm in the light. Here's what to do with those claims. Here's what to do with the confusion that those people have brought to you. So I have four compass points for you this evening to help maybe reorient you in your spiritual confusion or in whatever confusion you're in as we listen along to John helping us. The first compass point is this, that if we want spiritual orientation in a difficult season and in a confusing time, John says you've got to know him and you've got to keep his word. Have a look in verse 3. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. What a beautiful question. How do we know we know? How do you know that you know? How do you know that you're spiritually safe, secure? How do you know your relationship with Jesus? Here's the heart of the confusion they're experiencing as a result of the false teachers, as a result of them leaving. And John's taking that on and trying to assure them, how do you know you know? Well, those who know Jesus, who know the Advocate, who know the one who's come among us. They keep his commands. They keep his word. And then he goes after the first claim. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. People who have left them and who claim to have an intimate connection with Jesus, but have abandoned his words, John C. He calls them out and says, they didn't know him. They weren't part of him. They weren't connected to him. We are summoned to know him and keep his word. Now, you might straight away think, well, that sounds a bit legalistic, this whole command language thing. Uh, we talked last week about our need for Jesus as an advocate who turns God's wrath away from our sin, enables our fellowship with God. Why is this keeping of commands necessary? Well, it's very important what the commands are, in fact. And we get a sense of that maybe later in the letter where it talks about God the Father's commands, which are twofold, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he Jesus commanded us. Here's the twofold command of God given to us in the gospel, particularly as John tells it to us. We are to receive Jesus as the Christ, and we are to walk and love as he loved. And to hold on to the word that, it, that comes to us in Jesus is to hold on to those two things. See how John's helping with the confusion here? He's saying what it means to know Jesus is to accept him as Christ and to walk in love after his own 
command. It's very simple. This is the simple path of the Christian life. John's not saying anything extraordinary, but he's reorienting his readers to what is true. But you still might be thinking, well, it still sounds a little bit legalistic. You have to keep the commands to get it right. But read on a bit further. Anyone who obeys his Jesus' word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Isn't that beautiful? The way he's talking about commands here is not that things we do out of duty, things we do uh, because we want to be right with God, rules we have to follow to be acceptable. We keep the commands, we obey the word of Jesus because we love God. It's an overflow of love. And we always do this with the people we love. We always follow their commands. If you have someone you love who's gluten-free, that's one of their commands. You follow it, don't you, if you love them? Your love for them is made complete in your gluten-free baking, in your gluten-free cooking for them. We follow, we keep the word and commands of others because we love them. And that's the picture we have here of Jesus, of the Christian life, that we are to know him, to love him. And as part of our loving and knowing of Jesus, we are to hold on to his identity, to his utter glory as the Son of God, and to love as he loved. That's our first compass point. We are to know him and to keep his word. But what does that mean? What are these commands we're supposed to do? What does it mean to keep his word? And, and what John goes on to say is that well, what this means, what this looks like, is that we are to walk in him and walk like him, that word walk is kind of central to verse 6, though it's not there in the NIV. Here's the ESV, maybe a bit clearer with the walk language. But this, by this we may know. So we're knowing again. How do we know? Know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. See, once again, he's calling out these false people who've walked out, and he says, you know what? If someone claims to be in Jesus, if someone claims to abide in him, to have connection with him, to have Jesus in them and them to be in Jesus, if they're claiming that, then they ought to look like Jesus did. They ought to have the same outward life as he had. That's what that word walk is means it talks about our bodily existence. The Son of God had flesh and bones and walked a life. And we are being summoned into that same life through connection with Him. Now, once again, you might be thinking, well, isn't this just, it's a bit legalistic to say, you know, you, you've, got to be, you've got to walk like Him if you want to claim you know Him. It's kind of like those terrible um, bands that I wore as a teenager. I became a Christian in 15, 16, and everyone wore WWJD bands. Everyone did. So I did too. And WWJD, that question for all situations, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And this kind of, uh, this legalism, that walk into this situation, how would Jesus walk into this classroom? How would Jesus walk into this butcher's shop? A kind of mentality. But notice the language here. The language is that we abide in Him. How do we know that we are in Him? You see, it's not that we are walking apart from him. It's that if you claim to have intimacy with Jesus, connection to your advocate, a personal understanding and connection with him, then just as the same as you take on the weird phrases your housemate says and you start to do things a little bit more like they do, 
If you're with him, intimate with him, your life will look like his. If he is in you and you are in him, then the resemblance will just grow. It's a byproduct of being in him. It's a byproduct of connection. It all grows from his power, from his life, from his light, from his love. Organically, through connection with Jesus. And so John's saying, you know, these people who are claiming to be connected to him, and yet there is no resemblance to him, well, you know that they're not in him. That's our second compass point. And that these are building on each other, aren't they? They know him and keep his commands. What does that look like? It looks like walking like him. But then it gets to the apex of the passage when he says, well, actually what this means is to love his people. Remember how the command was? What was it? Receive Jesus as the Son of God and love as he commanded you. And it's really interesting. The point at which he really wants to, uh, uh, the compass point that really distinguishes the false teachers is their lack of love for brothers and sisters. Have a look at it. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there's nothing in them to make them stumble. This is fascinating stuff because if I was writing this chapter and I said, was trying to give compass points for the disorientation they're experiencing, I would have said things like, you know, get your doctrine right. You'll tell by their checklist. You'll tell by the things they believe. You'll tell by those kind of things. That's kind of true because we have to cling to Jesus and who he is as the son of God. Uh, I talk about the purity of your way of living, maybe. But John talks about loving one another. That actually the way you treat God's family, the way you treat brothers and sisters in church, our relationships, the way they're conducted, is the hallmark of whether you're in the light or in the darkness. Isn't that interesting? And isn't it so strong the language he uses? Hate. Hate a brother or sister. When I first read this, I thought, that's, that's a bit strong. I don't know if I hate my brothers and sisters at times. Maybe I find them annoying and, and frustrated at them. Uh, but remember the context. There's a group of people who have grown up, taught false things, and then gone away and abandoned them. And there's this acrimonious split that has happened and deception they're trying to cause. And so, you know, and we've seen this. You've, if you've been around a church long enough, you'll see this happen, where a group of believers will start to hate another group in a church. I see it happen all the time, over the pettiest, smallest things. Often amongst the family of God, there is hatred, awful as it seems. Let me tell you a couple of ways I see that happening. Uh, One is uh, in politics, actually. read this book with citizens called To Change the World that reflects upon power and Christianity and politics. Uh, And in the course of the book, this American man thinks about every aspect of the political Christian scene in America. Left-wing, right-wing, centrist, Anabaptist, which is, uh, you might know, but is an interesting category. And he says, you know what? These all share one problem. Every single one. And he goes after them all and suggests issues with them all. He says they all have the same problem. They all grow from hate. He says what Nietzsche called, I'm not going to try and pronounce French, resentment. 
His definition of this French word included what we in the English-speaking world mean by resentment, but it also involves a combination of anger, envy, hate, rage, revenge as the motive of political action. What he's observing is that in America there are right-wing Christians who hate the secular and Christian left and therefore are motivated to build policy. And Christians in the left who hate what they see the right doing are motivated from hate to do the same. And it's a really disturbing picture of how we can delude ourselves as believers into thinking we're doing good things when we actually fill with hate. One of the really disturbing things I found also is that uh, when uh, I speak to other people about the part of the world I live in and the denomination I'm part of, often what they know about us is that we love Jesus, we love the gospel, we preach it. But you know the other thing they often know? is that we love to fight. We love to fight each other. And I've heard this from multiple places, and every time I, I hear it, I feel so ashamed. I feel so ashamed to, to be part of something that's known for hating. Because as John says here, it should not be. That's not to say that amongst the family of God, there's not room for robust, firm, strong debate, and there's not reason to separate from heresy. Those things are vital. But to live in the light, to walk in the fellowship of God, what we are summoned to, our compass point, is we are summoned to love God's people deeply and truly. And I think John points the way for us in this, in the beginning of verse 7, in the NIV, it says, Dear friends, the better translation is beloved. Beloved. Beloved brothers and sisters who are different politically, who have such a different vision of the world, who have things I don't understand and don't like. Beloved. Not beloved for who they are to you, but beloved because they belong to the advocate, because their sin has been covered by the same Savior. Because Jesus Christ in his work in summoning us into the light has brought us into one family and to live in that family is to live in love for brothers and sisters. And so John wants to say firmly and strongly that this movement out of hatred from them is a movement for darkness. and It gets so dark, don't you think? Anyone who hates a brother and sister, verse 11, is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And I've seen that, that spiral of hatred that just leads people off into nowhere in the midst of their faith. But there's one other compass point in this passage. I skipped over it because I wanted to talk about it now. Something really vital that John drops in the middle of this discussion of loving brothers and sisters. It's so interesting where he calls it, you know, the new command. That's an old command, which is to say it's, it's, it's old because you've always known about it, but it's new because Jesus brought it into the world. Jesus brought into the world a new command, and yet I'm writing you a new command, verse 8, and its truth is seen in him. The truth of this light, the truth of this life of love for brothers and sisters is not seen in us first, it's seen in him, the advocate, 
who offers his life to form the family of faith, who summons us into fellowship with one another and with God his Father, incredibly, and finally through his blood shed on the cross. The truth is in him. And then what does he say? It's beautiful. It's seen in him and in you. It's seen in you too. That this truth of this light, of this love. And then it gets really awesome. He says, because what? The darkness is passing, verse 8, and the true light is already shining. You see, the reason why we are to walk into this new command of love, walking in the way of Jesus, keeping his word and his command, is because in Jesus Christ, the darkness, the sin and hatred that is so much a part of who we are as humanity is already passing because of his death and because of his resurrection. I don't know what you walked into church believing today. Maybe you believe that the darkness has almost snuffed the light out. Maybe you think the darkness and the light are head to head and it doesn't, we don't know who's going to win in the next decade. You might feel on the apocalyptic edge of a darkness, but according to what has happened in Jesus Christ at Christmas, the darkness is passing and he, the true light, is shining in himself and in us. So John says in his gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. See, this is what we celebrate at Christmas, the breaking of the darkness by the light. And you see, this changes everything. We as a new family of faith are being summoned into the new light that will shine brightly when the darkness is done. We are called to be a new family of love, centered on the words of Jesus, walking in his way until his light dawns across the world. And this truth changes everything because if the, the world was on the edge of being taken by darkness, I don't think I would have the ability to deal with the hatred I find in my own heart. But when I know that in Jesus Christ, my advocate, the one who has come among us, the darkness is passing because he's dealt with my darkness. Because he, the light of the world, was snuffed out on the cross that we might become his family of light. And so we are summoned to keep his word, to walk in his way, to love his people, and to remember that the darkness is passing and the true light is shining. Let's pray. Father, we want to confess this evening our bewilderment and confusion and difficulty. It's easy to be disoriented in, in these days by people who claim they know you, but they don't. By the simple weariness of our very bones. And Father, we just want to come back to the compass points today. To, to acknowledging Christ, Lord uh, Jesus as the Christ. And to our identity as a new family, brothers and sisters. Father, help us to walk toward one another with that beloved above each other's heads. Father, we want to repent of our hatred today. Repent of the way we have
turned against brothers and sisters when we should have moved toward them with the same love with which you've moved toward us. And Father, we pray for our hearts, which might be on the brink of despair at times at the moment, that you would paint that truth on our hearts, that the darkness is passing, and Jesus, our light, is shining, and will shine forever. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.